This week's episode of The Discerning Gamer is brought to you by Anset Australia, taking you nowhere since 2002. Welcome to The Discerning Gamer Podcast. Your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Yes, attempting to seek out a large, uncursed diamond ring in order to reverse a dangerous curse on the governor of Melee Island and destroy the zombie pirate LeChuck. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Joel J.B. Fury Beauchene, and with us this week, as always, are the DG crew, starting with the PC gamer, the Sultan of Steam, a proud member of the Crimson Fleet, uh, preying upon helpless UC cargo ships. It's none other than Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Welcome to the show, Fergus. Uh, JB, how are you, mate? Good to be here. Yes, very, very good to be here also. Uh, also with us, we've got the gaming chef, the Earl of Emotional Damage, underwhelmed by the latest Mortal Kombat serving from Nether Realm Studios, despite arguing with his wife about buying it. It's none other than <laughs> Simon Steely McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Steely. Yeah, you know what they say, everyone. Happy wife, happy life. You have to uh, eventually concede to the fact that your wife is always right <laughs> and that you can just watch the fatalities online after the fact. Um, but, yeah, so Casey's very much right on that one. Yes. I do have a question for Ferg, though. Hey, Ferg, does the, um, does the Crimson Fleet match the top stairs match the downstairs? You know, we're going to chop this up in a second, but I actually haven't got that far in Starfield as to okay. have joined no, any right. of the factions, a, so uh, your guess is as good joke, as mine. That's all. <laughs> yeah. It's just a pubes joke. Just wanted to know Crimson Fleet being your beard being red and your pubes being red. I love you. Anyway, okay. Yes, thank you, Steely, for making the uh, intro just that little bit more awkward than it usually is. Uh, <clears throat> finally with us, we have the Nintendo Queen, Pistol Pisty Pete. The Pissed. Uh, nearly convinced about buying Baldur's Gate 3 on my recommendation, but still not quite over the line. It's Casey C. Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, C. Mac. Thanks, Joel. Yeah, we um haven't quite thought about it, have we, about buying it? I thought about it a lot today. Did <laughs> you? Yeah, I was driving down the road and I thought, no, oh, that. I yeah, know. <laughs> oh, Are we still talking about the game, Steely? <laughs> Well, what were you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah. Baldur's Gate 3 or are we talking about Berg's Crimson Fleet? <laughs> JB's uh, still stuck on. You're still wondering if the uh, the carpet matches the drapes. Well. Oh, pretty my well. God. Yeah, I want to know. But no, yeah, thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Well, you know what? I'm going to go to EB Gammers tomorrow, Murray Bridge, in my lunch break, and I'll get it. <laughs> Oh, what? Okay, sure. Do you hear it here yeah, first? Heard it here first. That's, uh, I'm going to come. That's uh, <laughs> excellent. Thank you, Steely. 
EB Games are coming at the Murray Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, they probably don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> they probably didn't get any stock. <laughs> Nobody in Murray Bridge to play the game. Yes. <laughs> Very good. All right, well, uh, <laughs> kicking things off uh, this week, speaking of Crimson Fleets, uh, we thought here at the Descending Gamer we'd give you our first impressions of the latest monster game from Bethesda Studios, Starfield. Um, and uh, no, you That's know, a space game, JB. The monster game was Redfall. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. There you go. Oh, he's firing on all <laughs> cylinders tonight. Um, all right, well, do you want to do you want to kick things off, Ferg? Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, let us uh, let us in on uh, what what you've been uh, sort of thinking. noticing and thinking about this this game. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> it's been out for about two weeks now, and I've been lucky enough to put a good chunk of hours in. So I'm sitting at about forty. I'm just over forty hours of playtime. So wow. Um, wow. So, yeah, I've got some reasonably good first impressions and I'll probably, I reckon I've played enough to chuck a discerning gamer score on the end as well. But um, I suppose just as a, a bit of a background, I absolutely love the Bethesda games. Huge fan of the Fallout series, Elder Scrolls, love them to bits. Um, and I also play them all in a very similar way. So primarily I'll just go off into the world and I do absolutely everything except for the main quest. And then after about 70 or 80 hours, I go back and I finish it. And then I generally put the game down. And my experience with Starfield's been very similar. So as a bit of a, I don't know, what did I get up to in the first 15 hours of, of game time? Is I probably spent a good hour to two hours in the character customization, um, the character customizer. And it's typically not something that I'd spend a lot of time with. But for some reason, I just felt like I really wanted to make a character that looked like me. And actually, yeah pretty easy enough to get something that looked quite quite like me. So I spent a good chunk of time in that, and that was really good, um, very easy to use. And, yeah, you can go into all sorts of depth. And you've seen now kicking around on Reddit and stuff, people making all sorts of characters. You've seen Todd Howard being made in the game, and <laughs> someone made uh, uh, Chris Hatfield, I think it is, the astronaut. I think he's playing the game, and he made a character that looks identical to him. So people are having a lot of fun with that. And, yeah, basically I started the game, and straight from the get-go... By the time I got to, and I'll be very careful not to give any spoilers away, but by the time I basically made it to Constellation HQ, I'd already paid, played maybe five hours. And wow. so okay. I just just went around and wandered. But by, by the time I got there, I basically paused the main quest and it all got derailed where um, one of the companions basically shows you to your room. And after she showed me to the room, I was just like, oh, I'll just explore around a bit. And I came across a guy's diary about going to the 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 moon and seeing where the lunar landing was and i just thought you're kidding me that's exactly where i'm going so i went <laughs> to the moon and you can go to the actual spot of the lunar landing and it's super cool and from there i basically um you know went to the moon stole a ship i flew around i set up a colony on the moon um i basically <laughs> maxed out the weightlifting perk in the game because if you if you're playing being over encumbered is so easy to do. So I spent the first three hours basically running around to max out the skill. From there, I went to the Earth, I went to the Mars, and I'd probably at this point played 15 hours and I hadn't done a single mainline quest. Um, but anyway, 40 hours later, let's go through some things that I love and maybe things that I don't like. So off the bat, um, 
voice acting in this game is top notch. They're really, really good. Like, there's not too many dud characters in this game where you're just like, this is like really bad voice acting. I know we something we got caught up in a lot with sort of um, Hogwarts Legacy, mm. something that we couldn't overlook. Stuff who's got <laughs> amazing voice acting. Um, the scope and size of the universe itself is incredible. Like, it, it's just so big. Um, yeah, and there's so much to do. You know, between the you know the quest, side quest, ship building, settlement building. There's there's so many things you could just spend. 10, 20, 30 hours in itself, let alone, you know, playing the whole game. So um, combat was something that I was a little bit worried about, but that's, you know, pretty decent. It's, you know, it's not going to be as good as a Destiny 2 or something like that, but it's very serviceable. Um, I really enjoy, like, the, the organic progression of quests. Like, there were so many times that I'd be, you know, just exploring and I'd come across a note in someone's, you know, when I was looting them and it'd be like, oh, there's some kind of treasure thing. And then off I'd go and spend hours, you know, just bouncing around chasing treasure and doing stuff like that, which is really cool. Um, they do a really good job of capturing the scale of space and the loneliness. Like they've done a fantastic job of, you know, really mimicking what it would be like to be in, in space. Um, yeah, like I said, the depth to the game is, is incredible. Um, so, yeah, overall... Really, really enjoying it. As far as some of the dislikes, I've got a list here and all of them you can put down to just Bethesda jank, really. <laughs> I mean, if you've played any of the Fallout games or any of this stuff, it's all here in this game, you know, like yep. um, it's just for having a, a, a jetpack and being able to fly around, the amount of ledges and stuff I got caught on and I couldn't jump on things. Like, just shit like this was just sort of a bit frustrating. There's heaps of loading screens. Um, it's in, Like I said, it's an incredibly deep game, but they don't do a very good job of explaining a lot of the systems to you. Even it's got... And I didn't... I don't know what I was expecting, but if you're going into this game thinking it's going to be a No Man's Sky type arrangement when you can fly a chip, uh, ship, you know, from one planet to the other, you're going to be very disappointed. It's basically this tiered map system where you sort of... You know, you travel to a, a star system and then you travel to the planet and then you travel to the, you know, to the actual planet and it's just sort of split up in these weird loading screens. And it's just, I don't know, I don't think they did a great job of maps in general, but just getting around wasn't fantastic. Um, again, like a Bethesda game, the invent inventory stuff is is horrible. Like, it's so clunky. Like, you spend so much time in the menus and they're very, they're not great. And I just wish that they'd spend a bit more time trying to fix a lot of these things, which have been sort of legacy things. But having said that, you know, it's nothing that would is making me think that this is a bad game, but it's just stuff I wish they just probably polished a bit more and sort of takes you out of the immersion of the game a bit. But, um, yeah, overall, I'm having a stack of fun. Um, you know, other things. Embrace companions are really good. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's Embrace a good... fucking chaos. Just on that point, <laughs> I've I've had probably... It's probably in the first two hours I had a bug where some stuff was just flying around in space. Outside of that, <laughs> I've had none, except for hard crashes. Wow. Like, nothing game-breaking within <laughs> the game except for hard crashes. So, in 40 <laughs> hours, I've probably had, I reckon I've had seven. I'm probably going at about one hard crash every four to five hours, maybe. So I've probably what had about hell? eight. I'd prefer shit flying around in space to a hard crash. Yeah, like, so... 
really. I mean, so these games you, be, you save uh, all the time. You want to be spamming that quick save yeah. button all the time, and you do. So, but outside of that, it's oh, yeah. I haven't had anything game breaking where quests weren't working or things like that, or I got stuck somewhere I couldn't get out of, or it's just the odd hard crash. Maybe that's just a hardware thing more so than the game. But um, yeah, I don't know. Overall, I think probably the summary. And I was having a chat to someone else about this. It's if you're a fan of Bethesda games, you would enjoy this game. If you hate Bethesda games, you will hate this game. It's it's <laughs> a very good game. They I don't think they're doing anything groundbreaking, but across the board, it's a super solid game. I'm having heaps of fun, and this is a game that you could spend a hundred hours in easily. You know, I've played forty hours, and as I said at the top, I haven't joined a faction yet. I've done maybe five of the main story missions, if that, probably less, probably three or four. I haven't done any shipbuilding. You know, I've barely done any sort of like base building and I've played 40 hours. Um, so it's a good game to get your value for money. Yeah. And like I said, it all comes back to it's just got, there's just so much to do. The The level of depth in this game is unbelievable. Mm. Um, the other thing I want to point out as well, the soundtrack and the atmosphere and stuff to the game is really well done. It's fantastic. So look, 40 hours are probably, this is sitting at a, a solid nine out of 10 discerning gamer score. And I'm happy to give it a score now because I know from this point onwards, there's only things that I'll see which will make that score go up rather than backwards because I've mm-hmm. probably seen the worst of it already, which is, like I said, the the Bethesda jank, which I just wish they probably spent a bit more time working on. But like yeah, you know, they spent 12 months polishing the jank out of this thing and it's still, <laughs> it's still uh, full of, well, obviously, game-breaking game style bugs. Yeah, um, which is which is really disappointing. What um, do you think, JB? Because you're the well, other one in the crew that's played it. Um, all right, so straight off the bat, I'm also having a lot of fun with it, right? So it's not, but I also had a lot of fun with Cyberpunk. So you know, um, that that's you know not not necessarily the the be all and end all, but like. Um, some things that I really like about it, I like the fact that you've got this ship that you can customize it, you can really make it your own. You've got options to build on the ship, like a research station and like a workbench to mod your weapons and your armor and stuff like that. So um, almost similar to Fallout 4 where you could, you know, once you've discovered a workbench at a, a particular settlement, you could then build stuff within that settlement you can really sort of do that on your ship as well as building outposts on planets as well. And I think that's really cool. And I, I like the aspect of it where you, you're constantly trying to gather different resources so you can craft uh, different things um, and all of that. So um, there's a lot to like about the game. Um, there's there's some things that I don't, I don't particularly understand why they went the way they did. So, for example... I was on a planet, uh, not on any particular mission. I just dropped dropped myself off. I was actually looking for a place to build an outpost. I saw a ship land off in the distance, and I'm like, right, I'm going to go and steal this thing. So I've I've gone like like hell for leather, made a beeline straight for this ship, jumped on board, gunned down all the people on board, jumped in the pilot seat, and took off. And uh, I'm like, yeah, all right, sweet. So what do I do with my old ship? 
and uh, they've they've come up with this system where one of it doesn't matter how many ships you have, one of mm. them is your home ship, mm. and then there's no real easy way to switch home ships. Like once you've got more than one ship, you have to land at a starport and speak to a technician, and then they can change your home ship for you. It's I don't like that. I think it's I think that that's that could have been done so much better. Um, and it took me ages to actually work out how to do that as well. Mm. Like I had to actually Google it online to, you know, work out how to change my home ship. So then the ship that I stole, I, I made a beeline for, for this star base and went to sell it. And I'm thinking, yep, beauty, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, you know, 50,000 credits here or whatever. And before you can sell it, they make you register the ship. Like it's a like it's an old beat up Datsun that you're trying to get back on the road, so you got to register the ship, <laughs> and that costs essay. that costs you like ten, <laughs> 10 grand, grand, eleven yeah. grand, something like that. And then I went to sell it, and I, I could sell it for like fifteen or something. I'm like, well, this is shit. I've made like three grand on it. Yeah. So what's the fucking point in going to, like? And when I looked at the value of the ship, it was showing like ninety thousand credits or something, mm. and I've made. 3,000 on it after I had to register the fucking thing. So I, I think that sucks mm. um, because stealing someone's ship and selling it should be a way to to start generating some a good amount of profit because it's not an easy thing to do in the game, but when you do it, you should be rewarded for it, I think, a bit more than what they've, what they've allowed. Mm. Um, the other thing, like when you arrive at... A star base or, or another ship um, if it's a star base you, you're meant to dock with it so you can go on board and then go and explore or you know whatever you want to do it took me ages to work out how to just fucking dock with the bloody thing like um, I, I, was, I was ramming my ship into the docking port <laughs> and bouncing off and d- doing damage to my hull and I'm going what the fuck's going on here and, Sounds like my first time. Oh, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it, Steely? Hey? <laughs> um, Where does this thing go? Where, <laughs> come on. Where's the... Somebody put a light on. How do I dock? So, <laughs> so eventually I worked out you've got to hit the E key to target yeah, the yeah. thing, and then you hold down the R button, and then it goes through like an automated docking sequence thing but just just like little things like that are painfully difficult to work out how to do and they're not self-intuitive and the tutorials really don't cover a lot of this stuff like they they cover a good amount of things but they don't cover everything that you need to know to be able to get by in the game and that that really sort of give me the shits um, about it. So, and that, and that comes back to my point around there's so many complex sort of things within it, but it's they're hardly explained. Like, you're 100% yeah. correct. I spend heaps of time on Google just searching, how do I do this? How do I do that? Like, when I got into my um, the base building, I couldn't place anything and I couldn't connect two buildings together. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? And, and I tried for like 15 minutes, tried everything, tried a different spot, moved around. And what it came down was I just wasn't putting it high enough in the air. But there was no, like, feedback saying, you know, lift it higher or you can't place it here because it's too low to the ground or something. It looked like it was going to work, but it just wouldn't work. And so I was pulling my hair about that. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that they probably, yeah, 
just small things. Like the other one, like I love playing sort of like as the diplomat. I love persuasion, being able to talk my way through everything before I start shooting people. Mm. And the mini game with the the diplomat is you you've basically got and depending on how hard the conversation is, you might have you need to get basically four correct answers and that can be made up of, you know, one line which is worth one, one that's worth four, two and three, etc. But the feedback it gives you is like one's easy, you know, two might be medium and four might be hard. But it doesn't really give you any indication on what kind of percentage you've got of getting it correct. Yeah. So you just, you know, we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate and that's, you know, like D&D. It'll, you get that visual. If you want this to work, you have to roll a 10 and then you roll your dice and you get the instant feedback. Here you're just like, what are the odds of me getting the hard one right? Is it 1%? You just, it just says red. It just shows red, yellow and green. Mm. Is it green at 100% or green at 55%? Just little things that I think they really could have, I don't know, just made a bit bit better. Um, some stuff isn't really intuitive, but again, these are small gripes. Yeah. Probably, and we don't want to give away spoilers, but I was a little bit disappointed with how the game started. I think they missed mm. um, a golden opportunity. Like some of those games I, I rattled off at the beginning, which I love, all have amazing introductions to the game. So you think Skyrim... So you're coming, it's the slow descend down the valley in the car, you wake up, you're about to get your head chopped and dragons. And that's how the game starts. Mm. And that's incredible. Fallout, it's like running to the bomb shelter. Um, even Oblivion was like breaking out of jail and sort of hightailing it as all the guards were chasing you. Whereas Starfield, for me, was a bit of a slow burn. Like I don't, it didn't really feel like it started hitting its straps for maybe 10 hours. And the main sort of story, you're sort of thrown into something and you just sort of expected to care about it. It it didn't feel like you sort of were bought on a journey to care about it. It's just like, right, you're a part of the team. This is what we do. You're now in it. You're amongst this. And I was sort of like, really? Like, I don't know. Yesterday I was like a miner and today I'm like on some kind of, you know, deeper meaning sort of quest line. Um, so I think they could have, I don't know how they would have done it, but I would have liked them to do something just to make you feel a bit more connected to the storyline at the beginning. Um, I think they missed an opportunity there. There's there's another thing too. Like, I I think we're probably a bit spoiled by certain game series and certain developers who do things like really, really right. So I'm, I'm talking about developers like Naughty Dog or Santa Monica Studios. And the characters in the game are done with such... Uh, such amazing motion capture and everything like the performances feel just as real as if you're watching like a, a really good tv show or a really good movie the 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 technology in this game doesn't feel like it's moved on since 2013 when skyrim mm. came out you know it still feels like we're 10 years ago where they've slightly dialed up some of the some of the settings as, as, as far as like you know things look sharper and, and stuff like that but i just feel like yeah like bethesda haven't really moved with the times in a lot of ways like they've spent a lot of effort on certain elements of the game like the fact that different planets and different atmospheres of different lighting and all this sort of stuff and that's all great but then like a huge element of the game is like just talking to other characters and to me it just feels like they've totally missed the mark mm. on that. 
Yeah, and you still get that. Um, you know, you go to talk to someone and have a conversation with them, and they're like looking the other way. Yeah, remember we used to get that a lot in games back in the day, or there'd be like an N- NPC in the background who's like walking into a wall, and it's still all in there. Like it's mm. still, you know, it's yeah, it's classic classic Bethesda. It's very um reminiscent of everything they've done to date. There's a lot of this stuff, and I think that's probably what it's missing from going from a nine to a ten, is just that next level of really tightening the screws on some of that stuff that we've seen some games in the last 12 months have, have you know, really knocked on the head. So, um, yeah, a few other things like the companions are fantastic, but again, it's, I've spent most of my time with Sarah, who's the constellation leader or whatever. Mm. And we're basically married at this point. And I think I've had like four conversations with her. And it seems like every time you talk to her, she's like, Oh, like, I'm just like, things are, things That's move normal. the pacing of some stories and so, relationship with characters is just like all over the shop like sometimes it's it just seems like a lot of stuff happens very very quick and then nothing happens for a long time and but i think the companions outside of just being pack horses because you're over encumbered all the time you're basically just dumping everything you don't want on your your companion they do add something to the game like they have like meaningful conversations and you know you fall off. I remember I fell off a ledge, and she said something like, "Oh, you know, don't go breaking your leg on me, or you know, maybe use that booster pack on your back next time." And you know, just little quips like yeah. that, which make it kind of interesting and sort of you know add some life to you know what would be a pretty you know quiet game if you were just running around by yourself. Um, what what traits did you go with, JB? Did you pick traits or? Well, like at the beginning when you're doing the character creator, you've got like. Um and it and it, it goes back to the old fallout style where you you'll get a boost to this but at the expense of this and so a lot of those traits at the beginning i, I didn't pick any of them I, i'm just yeah. picking the perks as i level up um because none of the trade-offs seemed worthwhile mm. to me um so i'm i'm of the opinion i'd rather pick something that's just going to give me a boost but it's not going to fuck something else over like mm. you know at the expense um so yeah i mean it's another thing that maybe some people really like that but i i think that that's a bit shit yeah i went with the dream house which i visited once and when i got there i realized that i had to have all the materials to beat build everything so that's a game in itself collecting stuff to build deck out a house it's not like you know, the Sims where you've got an unlimited budget, potentially, and you can just make whatever you want. I'm still going to have to craft everything and build Some it, mortgage so. or something on it as well, don't you? That you got to yeah, pay off. Yeah, so you start 125k in debt, which didn't take me too long to pay off, but still. Um, the other one I picked was the Adoring Fan. Oh, yeah. And I came across him pretty early in the game and had a conversation, and your companions you can assign to your ship. So that's what I did. I just assigned him to the ship. And I haven't really talked with him since, but <laughs> what is really good is that when you land and take off, he'll say shit. So he'll like, you'll land the spaceship on a, on a planet and he'll be like, oh, he'll be like clapping. He'll be like, oh my God, another perfect landing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll like take off and he'll be like, wee, and just saying shit like that, which is, it's been pretty humorous to be honest. So I'm yeah, finding okay. him kind of funny more than annoying, but um, anyway. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying this game and this will be uh, up at the top of my list um, of game of the year. It's just disappointing that the, the things that they could have really taken it from a 9 to a 10 mm. aren't there and there's some... Uh, See, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I don't believe that this is game of the year material anymore. Like, it's it's a solid game, it's a good game, 
it's not game of the year. No. So I, I think the um, the run of luck that they had with a with Fallout Four getting a game of the year and um, Skyrim getting game of the year, I don't think that they've uh, managed mm. to capture lightning in a bottle the uh, third time over. So oh yeah, this is not going to win a game of the year by any critics. But as far as the games that I'll play this year, which is very few, mm. it'll be in the conversation. <laughs> but anyway, nice one, nice one. Well, moving from Starfield across to Baldur's Gate 3. So, I managed to uh, get my grubby little mitts on this one um, probably two weeks ago now. And I've been sporadically sort of jumping in and out and playing that. And I've got to tell you, this game is just fucking awesome. Mm. Like, it is... 100% 100% worthy of the praise that it's getting online. Like, mm-hmm. um, I played Baldur's Gate 1 back in the day and, you know, I enjoyed it. It was good. But this this completely blows it away. And um, one of the things about this game in particular that I think just makes it so incredible, like nearly every every time you go a little bit, further on the map or there's just interesting things everywhere mm. and every time you come across something there there seems to be dozens of different ways that your character can interact with it based on the race you are the class that you are so you can in terms of race you can be human elf half elf dark elf mm. halfling gnome there's there's like all these choices there's about 15 different races that you can choose from mm. and then on top of that then you can pick you know I'm a fighter I'm a wizard I'm you know a druid you know and there's all these different sort of sub selections that you can pick there and then every one of those you know sort of classes has like dozens of unique spells and stuff to it like it's absolutely incredible the the depth that this game goes to but um i i ended up picking a wizard you know and um like just just as an example early on in the game um you're stuck on this this ship and uh, i came across this sort of pod where there was a person trapped inside and they're banging on the the glass trying to get out and um, there's like a little console there and you can sort of go up to the console and analyze it and and then it'll ask you like, or oh, how do you want to analyze it? Do you want to use your wizard intellect and look for, you know, spells and runes? Do you want to use your perception and look for slots and buttons and stuff? And it gives you all these different choices and, you know, it's up to you to pick which one you want to do and then you pick which one you want to go with and then you'll do like a dice roll. Mm. And um, it'll give you like a minimum roll amount that you have to beat in order for it to be successful. And um, yeah, like just incredible. And and as you're sort of going through it, there's a narrator going, you know, you observe this and you, you know, you realize that the runes on the pod match something that you saw on the console. And, you know, mm. there's this narrator that's talking you through all these decisions and, and everything. And then like, nearly every character like nearly every npc that you come up against um out in the wild when you start talking to them you you get into like this really deep conversation and it opens up all this all this extra like dialogue and all these missions and stuff like that and it's like nearly every single person that you talk to has 
all this depth of stuff mm. to talk to you about. I started talking to this little kid and he was trying to sell me like a, a locket that had fake wizard runes on it. And because I'm a wizard, I, I, I you know, picked that dialogue option. I'm like, oh, this is fake. You know, these runes mm. are just bullshit. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, sorry. And then it says, oh, you know, you feel a tugging on the back of your shirt. And then it's like my perception, I, I succeeded at that. And I'll turn around. There's another kid trying to pickpocket me. And then the pickpocket kid, it's like you can you can choose to intimidate him. You can choose to persuade him and be the nice guy. You can mm. choose to use a spell and probe his thoughts mm. and try to work out what he's thinking. Like there's all these options. Like it's just so... It's unlike any game I've played before in terms mm. of how many different choices that you make or can make and how all the different choices that you've made about who your character is and what their class is and their race and all those sorts of things. Every one of those things has a huge bearing on how the game plays out. And mm. it's like I could start a new game tomorrow and it would play out entirely differently to the way my current um, game has played out. Mm. Um, and yeah, so nice. I had I had one where I, I came up against um, a, a goblin and uh, in order to let me pass, he wanted me to pick up a pile of shit and smear it on my face. <laughs> and um, yeah, and in the end, um, uh, I picked it up and threw it at him and all of his mates and then they all started attacking me. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely unreal uh, game. I think if anything at all is going to give Tears of the Kingdom a run for its money in terms of game of the year, I think we're dealing with a two-horse race at the moment. I think it's Tears of the Kingdom and Baldur's Gate 3 uh, would be where I'd be putting my, my money. Oh, so, should you? Did yeah. you have sex with the it's bear, great. JB? Oh. Not yet, but there's there's still plenty of time. There's still there's time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's. I would not be surprised. Like this game is just coming at me with all these all these weird and wonderful things. Like I rescued a gnome that had been tied to a windmill, and uh, like the first time I tried to do it, I fucked it up. And I pushed a lever and it made the windmill go faster and it catapulted him <laughs> across into the, the local mountain range and killed him. Um, and then I tried it again and managed to stop it and got him loose. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go off and find my mate now. He's lost in the mines and maybe I'll see you down there. And it's like, so this mm. character, you can just choose to catapult him and kill him or all of a sudden it opens up this new line of quests for you. Later. So it's it really is sick. Um I I would go so far as to say, I mean, it's about a hundred dollar game. It'd still be worth the money at one hundred and fifty bucks, honestly. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, there's plenty of other games that I would turn around and probably say the opposite um, mm. and say, you know, hundred bucks is probably a bit dear for the experience you're getting. But um, but no, definitely, um, Baldur's Gate three would be on my must playlist, right up there with. Uh, Something like like um, God of War Ragnarok or uh, or The Last of Us. Mm. I just think it's great that you know there's a game like Baldur's Gate and the type of game that it is that has garnered so much attention. 
because I find that, you know, it feels to me when I listen to you talk about it, that it would generally be quite a niche concept as far as, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons format and everything and how that translates into a video game. But every time I hear somebody talk about it, how passionately people talk about it, it feels as though they've captured this lightning in the bottle in a bottle of something that somehow can blend the formulas together and make them better, which I, f- I think is just a, a great feat from Larian. And I look forward to playing the, the game. I actually really think I want to play it because I am excited to figure out why people are bragging so much about this experience or not bragging. I mean, like, you know, uh, boasting the experience so much because coming from somebody that had an amazing time with tears of the kingdom and just being absolutely blown away by how, how incredible a game world Nintendo created on such a, I think, a, you know, a, a dying system, really it's an old system I um I'm excited to see where the you know where the comparisons can be drawn as far as not in graphics or gameplay because they're completely different games but just the way that both of I think made innovations in a formula or even something like Baldur's Gate where people are saying it's the most tried and true RPG in years you know because there are so many choices to make and there you feel much more ownership over the characters you you're you know, visiting or the person that you're creating. And I think that that in itself is something that is exciting. And I think that, it, you know, I'm just incredibly happy to see that there are two contenders for game of the year in the spot that deserve to be there that aren't just kind of like, oh, well, there was really, this was okay. So let's just, I think that'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, it's exciting to hear about it and I look forward to playing it. Mm. I, I think, the, the reason that the game is so good is that where a lot of RPGs in the past have failed um, and they make the choices that you've made about the character and how you've built them and customised them almost seem inconsequential mm. um, because it doesn't really affect the outcome of the game too much. In mm. Baldur's Gate 3, where they've really excelled is every choice that you've made about the character has a huge role to play in terms of how the game plays out and no two playthroughs are going to be exactly the same. Mm. They're all going to be different. So um, I cannot wait to play more of it. I'm trying to get in there and and play as much of it as I can uh, when I can. And um, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, for for anyone else out there who's uh, on the fence, and um, even if you're not a fan of D and D or whatever, like doesn't matter if you're a fan of any game like uh, Knights of the Old Republic or or any of those sorts of games, uh, or even like uh, XCOM and stuff like that, you'll you'll love this. It mm. is excellent, excellent. I think it's also worth noting that JB is playing this on PlayStation 5, which says a lot in itself as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Considering, <clears throat> you know, this has been a predominantly a PC game since it's been an early access, that the reviews for the PS5 version are getting just the same as the PC version, I think it's amazing as well. Um, sometimes, you know, with when you go from a point-and-click game and you try to stick that on a controller format with buttons, it sometimes goes pear-shaped, but it sounds like they've really done a great job of... You know, making that work, which is great. Well, 
Time to throw over to the Steelmeister with some news headlines. <laughs> the steel. Yep, 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 Starfield does seem to be the flavor of the month, everyone, as it's Bethesda's biggest launch ever, with over 6 million people currently playing Starfield. Going from 1 million to 6 million by day two after launch, Starfield looks to be the game that Xbox doesn't deserve, but the one that it needs right now. That's a Batman quote for everyone in there. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a player stuffed 20,000 potatoes into the cockpit of his ship last week and opened the door displaying some pretty impressive physics and attention to detail from Bethesda. We here at the Discerning Gamer reached out to the player for comment this week and he responded by saying, I've stuffed a lot of things into my cock, pit and anus before, but never a potato. So I said, fuck it. Anything beats visiting 999 barren planets in this game. I'm going full Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. In an interview with IGN, President of Nintendo of America, Doug Bowser, has officially commented on the next voice of Mario, saying, I think people have recognized this in reaction to the absence of Martinet in the role of Mario. When they see Super Mario Bros. Wonder, they'll hear a different voice and we'll let that play out and that'll be within the credits and people will learn who the new person is at that point in time. But we don't make any plans to announce... uh, Sorry, we don't plan to make any announcement in advance of that. When we reached out to Doug, and yes, we are buddy-buddy enough that I call him Doug and give him kisses uh, for comment about how he feels about the new casting choice for Mario. He had this to say. They could have included a Latin character like I was groundbreaking and then they stopped the groundbreaking. They messed up the inclusion. They disincluded. Just cast some Latin folk. We're 20% of the population, the largest people of colour group, and we are underrepresented. Um, So that's what he had to say about that. Well, actually, that's what... That's what um, John Leguizamo had to say about the Mario movie, but it it was meant to be a gag about, anyway, in the inclusion. Anyway, anyway, uh, anyway. Speaking of Nintendo, (laughs) um, rumors and reports have been going around, not just on YouTube for a change, but among reliable media sources, the Switch 2 had been getting shown off behind closed doors at Gamescom. And according to the report, a 4K ray trace, 60F plus Breath of the Wild, and... The Matrix Awakens UE5 demo were demonstrated showing off NVIDIA's DLSS technologies, allowing for better visuals from less power, with some people reporting that it is actually better looking, if not better looking, than PS5, purely because of the technology. Wow. Lick it before you slip it. Um, PlayStation Plus sent me an email last week letting me know that my subscription for the deluxe tier of PlayStation Plus would be increasing to $197 per annum. Even at its lowest tier, PS Plus will be $96 Australian, $170 at the middle, and none of the tiers will include any extra benefits 
for the price increase. Sony just wants a little bit more dime. Yet, Games Pass, with its insurmountable value, is still sitting at a clean and crisp $144 for consoles, $132 for PC, or both PC and Xbox for $228. Needless to say, consumers are baffled by the price increase set to take effect as people's subscriptions auto-renew during the year. More gold um, is required. That's that's right. It's um it's cats, 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 everybody. Uh wow. fuck me. Uh I've never seen up, so much lapping, pussy. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> lapping up the the milky success of 2022 stray and a burner. Why do I say some of this stuff? Annapurna have announced <laughs> the popular indie title will be developed into an animated film. No major details have been released yet, nor do we have a release time frame for the film, but they assure us that it will be perfect. There's another fucking cat joke there for you. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, back to Nintendo. A Nintendo Direct uh, and Sony Direct, or should I just call it a State of Spider-Man 2's costumes, was shown last week. <laughs> the closer look... Uh, thanks for that i thought that was funny uh with a closer look at what we now know to be peach's showtime a remake of the gba classic mario versus donkey kong f 099 luigi's mansion 2 hd and last but not least paper mario the thousand year door which if casey didn't have to go and check on the baby she would just be frothing at the lips ready to talk to you about it right now but um there's little else on people's minds after this nintendo direct filled with fan favorites from yesteryear than the Switch 2, seemingly confirming that the Switch is starting its transition into a new system. Needless to say, today, Nintendo fans have a lot to be excited for. And last but not least, E3 is back in the headlines this week because they are wanting to pull a Jesus and rise again in 2025. That's right, the ESA has dropped its show partner, Reed Pop, after the company failed to host one single E3 during its partnership with the ESA. And furthermore, they are looking to now reinvent the show, which also means it may ditch its current venue, being the LA Convention Center. And, uh, well, on that, Jeff Keighley has actually offered the ESA to hold it in his mum's garage. That is, if Ferg doesn't punch him in his punchable face first. And uh. that's in news for the fortnight, everybody. <laughs> that's in news for the fortnight. There's no fortnight news. Riddle me that. Riddle me that. But, um, yeah. So, nice lots of unpack there, everyone. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on. Oh, yeah, I mean, what a what a fortnight for Nintendo fans, you know, this talk of a, oh. a new console. I, I can't wait to see what uh, last-gen games Nintendo brings to the Switch 2. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, oh, Emotional <laughs> damage! Sorry, Steely. Listen to this, you fucking sloppy <laughs> bastard. Listen to this. Apparently... Um, there is a guy that works at Nintendo who's in charge of bringing third-party games to Nintendo systems, and he was credited in Baldur's Gate 3, meaning Baldur's Gate 3 is being planned to come to a Nintendo system. Obviously, it's not going to fucking run on the Nintendo Switch. So, mm. Mm, let me see here, you fucking salami <laughs> fucking sandwich. You're gonna, there's going to be some... I think people are going to see a significant change hopefully, uh, in power from Nintendo mm. in their next generation console that comes next year. And look, it's going to be uh, maybe at least another two years before we see a PS6 or a fucking Xbox Series 
don't bother. So, you know, at the end of the day, let's give them the B of the D, which is the benefit of the doubt. And who knows? I, I think that there will actually be something to be very excited about in the way that they've got this, you know, this plan with the NVIDIA and the DLSS technology. Because a lot of people are saying online that this is this DLSS technology is um, far better at ray tracing than AMD's uh, technology at the moment. And that's what's kind of getting used in a lot of the current gen consoles. And so Nintendo might just kind of have, for at least the last couple of years in in the new next gen console market, they might actually have a chance at, you know, mm. being the one that comes out with a bit more power or at least a, a bit more graphical fidelity. Mm. Having, having something running at 60 F plus and fucking with ray tracing, that doesn't happen on your fucking PlayStation. Mm. It's always at thirty F plus with ray tracing. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm all for it. Who mm. knows? Just you fucking Nintendo haters. <laughs> It'd be nice to have a yeah. handheld that we can play Grand Theft Auto Five on. Uh... <laughs> Emotional damage. Uh, no, I'm sure. I mean, uh, if the rumors are to be believed, it sounds like they're uh, really going to crank it up on the next iteration. So, mm. all jokes mm. aside. It sounds all positive to me, Steely, so Might fingers crossed. Bump our uh, graphical settings up one notch from Potato. Mm. What about the um, Stray news? Is, are we excited for an animated Stray movie? It'll be interesting to see how they did that. I really enjoyed that game, but obviously anyone that's played it, there was no voice acting or dialogue or anything like that, so it'll be interesting to see how that translates into a movie. Any uh, anticipation for a stray movie? How's that going to work? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't know. I don't can't really see. As an animated movie, it. I don't think so. I think if it was like a live action hybrid, you know, made to look very real, yet mainly it would be sort of CGI because there's robots and a cat. Mm. I feel like that would be way more up my alley because I think it would just. Because at the moment, as it stands, that game looks to to really provide a heightened reality. And if that heightened reality was something that we got in a film, I could I could see how that would work as an animated film. I don't know. I don't think it, I'm not. It's like yeah, I'm just not bothered by it. You know, yeah, it's not this. It's like if they told me that we were going to get a Last of Us anime. I think it takes all of the fucking gravity out of the game because it's it's centered around some form of reality. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just not for me. But whatever, you know. Well, it can't be any it worse. Got me than to the, uh, <clears throat> it can't be any worse than the bloody 2019 fucking fantasy musical cats, where they were half CGI, <laughs> half human cats. <laughs> James Corden cats. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Taylor Swift cats. Mm. Well, hello. hang on. <laughs> well, mm. Taylor Swift cats. Hey, she's she owns a lot of them. Yeah. Indeed. Friends with a lot of them as well, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. All right. Well, yeah. thank you for the uh, for the news for this week, um, Steely. Um, would My you pleasure. would you like to to jump into a long awaited review that uh, that we've oh, all been waiting yeah. to hear from you, mate? Let's let's have it both barrels, both barrels, shots fired. Hashtag monster review. Fucking wow! Oh, I tell you what. Now it's it's great to be able to talk 
about this game finally. And I know that I've held off from talking about it for a while because I I feel like, and, you know, anyone feel free to chime in at any moment, that on this show we have a tendency to give out a review score based off of what we're currently feeling on the game, even though we haven't played the entire product. I wanted to just one time play the whole thing, the whole as much as I could as far as campaign is concerned with a bit more side stuff and garner a complete feeling on how I felt of the game um, before I, I sort of brought anything. And that's just because I have a soft spot for Zelda and I, I just felt like that I wanted to kind of provide an opinion that could be based on the entire experience, really. And um, I've kind of broken it down into a couple of different sort of categories really like gameplay story music presentation and what i thought sucked about the game and so i'm going to start with the gameplay and look the biggest thing of all and everyone's told everyone about this by now but it's the creative freedom within the game there was always a point where i almost had to remind myself that i could do anything and and basically create anything out of anything there was this wonderful moment right at the start of the game when I first got Ultra Hand that I was stuck in a, in a sort of point where I couldn't get up a mountain and I just didn't know how the hell I was going to get up there. And I remembered what the whole game was centralized around, which was this mechanic of being able to create stuff. And I went and cut down some trees and I made a ladder. Like I just like made some makeshift ladder. I climbed the ladder and I got up the mountain. And for some reason, that that sort of freedom to give people the idea in their own head of a kind of like a lateral thinking exercise way to get over something was really satisfying. It's one of those few moments in games where you kind of go, "Yeah, I feel really smart after that." Like even though it's it's something as simple as making a device that will take me from point A to point B, but you typically don't get to do that in games. There's always a set path that you must go on in order to get to that area, even games with the most freedom involved. And I found that to be incredibly liberating. It was something really fun uh, to use that in the game in more ways than one to get over gaps or to, you know, try and figure out a puzzle. There was a hundred different ways you could probably figure out a certain puzzle and you never felt limited. The weird thing was though, is that in some ways you felt limited to using those mechanics in order to do a lot of the puzzles that were in the game. Whereas, you know, my traditional Zelda brain would have loved something traditional that was designed to help me do certain things. You know, like I, I still, I'm with Joel. I miss a hook shot. I'd love a hook shot in certain parts of the game. It would make traveling the world so much easier. It would be a great payoff for, you know, trying to get to certain things that are too high, maybe getting one that extends really long because there were some areas in the game that to revisit them, unless you left a travel medallion there or you fast traveled to them, um, which, you know, you feel like you can be fast traveling for a good portion of the game. And so it felt kind of, I don't know, it felt like there would be a nice, if there was a much easier way to get around, it would have been cool because to get around was fun, but it took a lot of labor to get there. Um, Obviously it builds upon Breath of the Wild in every single way. The map really does shadow Breath of the Wild quite a bit, but this, it still feels like there is so much more to explore because it's not identical to Breath of the Wild. Um, 
you know what it, it there's just loads to do in there as well like uh because there's a bit more civilization in this game i feel like there's so many more people to meet there's so many more random things to do they've they've somehow packed in way more little secrets and things that you just don't expect into the game as well which i love um and you know there was this awesome moment in the game when you first go underground so there's these big chasms all over the world where there's this gloom coming out of the chasms and you look at it and you go oh that just looks terrifying i don't want to go down there and then there's a quest in the game which is like yeah you gotta go down there and i'm like no i'm not doing that but it just it petrified me because at the start of the game seeing all that gloom and the music and everything was petrifying then when you travel from the land to up because the whole promotional material surrounding the game was oh you can go up into the sky and the sky islands and yeah if i can play in the clouds do your thing you know heaven earth jesus anyway and then there's a bit where you go and you dive underground and i think i just like casey and i both sat in the on the couch and went oh because the music that plays when you do it and that there's this sinking feeling and the way that the whole the camera kind of envelops you and the gloom builds as you get closer to the, the deeper parts of the underground it it kind of makes you feel sick the first time that you see it even though the game again is not graphically impressive or anything it's just the way that the mixture of the visual with the music with that sense of i didn't even know this was something i could do and it was genuine surprise. You go down there and you go, wow, I didn't realize that I could go underground as well. But the thing that surprised me the most is that the underground was an entirely separate map. It was the same size as the map of Hyrule. So mm-hmm. it was massive. It shadows Hyrule. There's, and there's a lot of different puzzles within the underground that you can traverse and work out based off of what is happening on the surface. It's kind of like the upside down in Stranger Things. And it's it's just fucking unreal. It, I just couldn't believe that, especially in a game that you know when it came out in 2017 or I think it was 2017. Um, it you know it was one fl- sort of one world, one flat plane, and that in itself was incredible. And then this, you can go as high as you can dream, as and go from the very top of the map, which is somewhere up in I, I can only call it the heavens as far as up as you could imagine all the way to the bottom you can go all the way from the top to the bottom in one fell swoop no loads nothing all the way from the top to the bottom now to me on a nintendo switch that is unbelievable it is remarkable there is nothing that i would i would never have expected that from this piece of hardware and that's something that i think is without a doubt no matter what platform you much enjoy playing on whether or not you prefer graphics there is something remarkable about that mm-hmm. because it is such a huge amount of scope um for this hardware um and it's just yeah it's a thrilling kind of concept then uh music 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 is unbelievable uh obviously the way that they use music um and you know the score of koji kondo in this game to really emulate the sense of in areas empty emptiness uh the sense of terror and fear and the underground or mystery um and even the sinister aspects of the music to the real fanfare of the amazing stuff that happens 
I find that music in Zelda games is always a highlight. And this just, again, builds upon what we got in Breath of the Wild. There's a lot of similar themes that you hear throughout it. And that's what makes it really feel like a sequel in a lot of ways because of the carryover of things that you go, oh, that's familiar and it feels good to hear it again, but be in, you know, it's like hearing your favourite theme tune to a TV show that you like. You know, anytime the Stranger Things, I'm going to bring that back up, but Stranger Things theme tune plays, you're like, yeah, like I'm ready for this again. I'm ready for some fucked up stuff. And when you hear those themes in Breath of the Wild that translate over to Tears of the Kingdom, it's the same thing. It's um, really quite amazing. I love the music. Um, presentation, look, I think the art style lends it to the bad sort of hardware that it's on, uh, the sort of the painted cell shaded art style. I feel like the Breath of the Wild does an amazing job at this Studio Ghibli-esque art style, um, coupled with the music as well. It really lends itself to that. Um, you know, I think it, it just makes the most out of the Switch's capabilities, um, still stuck on a much lower frame rate than modern consoles. However, it's impressive that it actually runs better than Breath of the Wild um, with three times the amount going on, like literally three times the amount. Um, this would obviously benefit from a modern system uh, to implement some dynamic lighting and add more life to the floor of the world as well and some more effects, you know, like more particle effects throughout the world of maybe leaves and wind blowing and um, you know, sometimes the ground can look a little bit plasticky um, because it's very shiny, whereas the grass, I feel like, shouldn't be so shiny sometimes. And it it's it bugged me in the trailers. It sometimes bugs me during the game. But, yeah, it's just a bugbear of mine because I'd love to see it on better hardware. Um, however, genuinely impressive. Um, now, the things that I think suck about the game, and, look, it, it's not enough to much like the way that Ferg feels about Starfield, even though, you know, it's funny because the whole time I heard you talking about Starfield, I thought, it doesn't sound like he likes this game. He's going to give it a six. I bloody loved or a it. Seven, but, but you love it. Anyway, the things that sucked, the controls. Uh, the controls are, by a stretch, not up to modern standards. Um, for an open world game as well, not up to modern standards. They are so, like, the mapping is so bizarre. To run, it's B. To jump, it's X. To you know, to crouch is you click in the R stick, and or the or the L stick is to crouch. And I'm like, oh well, that's to run. But no, it's just so weird. Just feels like it feels like the people that have created the control system have never played an open world game before, and don't understand that there are much more, I guess, economical ways to map the control system in order to make it feel more natural and and easy to navigate. There were so many times, I think both Casey and I were pushing a button going, oh, well, hang on, that's the wrong one. That doesn't feel right there. That shouldn't, oh, and it's just, it's frustrating. Like it's a really frustrating thing to have to basically get over and do and deal with the whole time. Because if you're used to playing any other game, the mapping is different. It's it's just normal. And it feels like when something's been normalized so much and you go to something else, it's just it's a it's a head fuck. But and then mm. you get used to it after a while if it's the only game that you're playing. And that's kind of what we did for a long time. So it, it was not too bad after a while, but still sucked. Um repetitive cutscenes. Uh, I'll tell you there was I think we saw the same cutscene about uh, I want to say five or six times because every time you 
basically go through and you discover a sage. So there are, there is, I think, seven sages in this game. Every time you discover one, the exact same cutscene plays and uh, to with little to no difference apart from the narration is told by a different character. And it's just kind of like th there was an opportunity there for us to see a different perspective from each of these people that lived so far in the past, yet we get the exact same perspective with a different voice. And it felt very sort of lazy. And it, every time you got to one of those cutscenes, you felt bored until the very end, you got to the same sort of thing. There's a cutscene there of the same thing happening, but then you get something new and you, I'm sitting there not paying attention to it because I'm like, oh, same bullshit. And then something different happens. I'm like, oh, fuck, I wasn't paying attention. Um, but yeah, repetitive cutscenes. Um, look, Gandalf's voice, I didn't like it. It was a bit bland. I, I get that they got this guy who's, you know, like an anime fucking megastar or whatever. I don't think his voice suited the voice of Ganon. When I look at Ganon, I think of something that's far more disgusting. Um, his voice just sounded like he was like some fucking big macho man. Whereas I think that Ganon is much more, uh, in my mind, he is far more sinister and and gross. There's just nothing gross about his voice. It just felt like it was, I am anime man talking and I'm upset. And, you know, it's okay, cool. Like, good on you. But it didn't add anything dynamics-wise to that character. And after not hearing him for so many years and his voice finally comes out of somebody's mouth, you just kind of go, this is not cricket. It just didn't, it didn't really do anything for me. Um, then, yeah, look, the last thing, Sages. They were a cool addition because of the things that they could do in the game, but um, they were a bit difficult to activate as opposed to the champion's abilities in the Breath in Breath of the Wild, and it, it kind of got annoying after a while. You're in the middle of a battle and you're trying to activate a certain champion ability, or well, no, sorry, a sage ability, and you have to go and find them midway through the battle, and they're often running away from you trying to attack people, and uh, they just muddy the screen a lot because... Once you've unlocked them, they follow you as these little sort of avatars and it just muddies the whole screen. And the whole game, it's weird because what I liked about Breath of the Wild is that you were traveling alone and, you know, it felt sort of lonesome. But this game, it felt like you just had people that didn't know when to leave. You know, like people come over to your house and they're just like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You're like, yeah, well, i got to go out and do this now. And they're like, oh, okay. And they just, you. they just, yeah, they're like, yeah, I'll come with you. Oh, cool. No worries. I, like, it's like this guy that I went to acting school with, and I'm not going to say his name because that's rude, but you know, you'd, you'd want to go out and have coffee <laughs> you know by yourself you because you've been, well, he knows who he is. You'd go out and have coffee by yourself and you just want to be alone and you'd have your headphones in and be like, oh, hey, uh, can I come with? And he'd be like, no, man. <laughs> Like, I just want to go and be alone for a minute because I've spent every minute of the day with you fuckers. I just want to go and be alone. Yet, you know, and that's what it felt like with this, these sages following you around. They just didn't know when to fuck off. And so, <laughs> um, but I mean, having said that, Tears of the Kingdom is by far one of the best games I've ever played. There is just something incredible about this game. It's by no means perfect. I've scored a, a, a luxurious nine discerning games out of 10. And I believe that it, it really, that 1% is those things that are bugbears that were annoying, that 
just set it apart from being a 10 that could have pushed it over the line had it done it right, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, there was so much substance gameplay-wise that something had to be let go, which felt like it was then just parts of the story. But uh, I say that, and the best ending to a Zelda game I think I've ever seen, the spectacle of the ending was just amazing. And um, and I'm not going to spoil the ending for anyone, but it was just unlike anything I'd seen in a Zelda game before, the imagery, the the way that it kind of encapsulated the story uh, was just fantastic. The most jaw-dropping experience in certain areas of this game, but just let down by a couple of things that they could have done better. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's that's how I feel about, oh, mate, Tears of the Kingdom. Fucking hell, I've talked for a long time. Well, nice. <clears throat> Still a solid <laughs> score. And you chucked a fair few hours into this game as well, didn't you, Steely? Oh, there, I think that it's over. I think there was a, a good maybe two hundred hours. Shit, there's Fuck. a lot of time put into this game, and and because there is a lot to see and do still in a world that you've been to before, mm. um, more than ever. And I love that a lot of the um, the quests within this game as well are so varied. There is, and some are lighthearted, some are serious, um, and you know. I think that a lot of the quests that are in it, you know, you, you might just find a, a piece of paper in a, in a bottle or something on the ground and it's a treasure map. And then you're like, oh, cool, I've got to go find the treasure. And then the treasure is like old costumes from different Zelda games. And I think that that little fan service stuff is so good. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it makes everything feel like familiar in a way. And you can make yourself look like the way that you want to make you look yourself. And, you know, the costumes have certain effects that are handy at times, but you're not beholden to that. If you want to play with, you know, the Twilight Princess outfit, which I did, I, you can. And it's just, it's nice. Yeah. But nice. anyway. Nice. Well, thank you very much for that, Steely. But that Lick it is before a, you slip it. Yeah. That's about all we've got time for this week on the Discerning Gamer podcast. So... Uh, I'd like to thank the members of the DG crew, starting with Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Thanks, JB. Always a pleasure, mate. And I'd like to thank Simon Steely McLaughlin. Thank you, Steely. Uh, thanks for having me again, JB. If anybody wants to piss, they can. Just so you know, it's a God-given right to pee. <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> last but... is your choice. <laughs> last but not least, uh, Casey C. Mac. Pistol Pete, the pissed McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you, C-Mac. Thanks. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Because if you, if you find a trough somewhere or even just a regular toilet, <laughs> you can piss in it. Like, But just if you piss on the outside of it, wipe it down with some toilet paper. Don't be this asshole that leaves a slippery wet floor below a toilet. Nobody wants that. Nobody likes it. Don't leave your piss on the toilet seat either. We know who you are. And I'm going to find you. I'm going to Liam Neeson. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> Taken. I'm going to find you. Something like that. <laughs>